Well, if this is your first time here, last week we kicked off a brand new message series. And so again, if this is your first time here, welcome. It's good timing. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the entire month of September just kind of exploring the DNA of the local church. We're going to be talking about who we are, you know, what we do, what we believe, you know, kind of what, what makes us different than anything else out there in our society. What makes the church different than, say, a, a social club, right, or, or, or a golf club or some kind of fitness club or gym? What are the distinctives that mark this Jesus movement? And why do we do some of the stuff that we do? Why do we do some of the, the weird stuff that Christians seem to be doing all the time? And we looked at last week the fact that church is not a building. And so I even mentioned, man, I'm trying to retrain my brain and not say things like, hey, let's go to church as if church were this building, right? Church is not a building. It's not an institution. Church is not even an event that just happens for an hour on Sunday morning. And we talked about the fact that God's design for the believer is for them to commit to a specific local church, which then becomes their spiritual family so that they can be cared for and shepherded by the leaders of that local church. And so we talked about the fact that biblical writers would have known nothing of free agent Christians. They would have known nothing of Christians who just kind of flow in and out and bounce around from church to church. No free agent Christians. Rather, the church is supposed to be, it's designed by God to be a family where people can come and they can grow, they can flourish in their walk with Jesus. And so we talked about the critical nature, the importance of local church membership, which, by the way, if you've been here for a while, and I know there are many of you who have been, some of you have been here for months, some of you have been here for years. And so if that's you and you're like, man, this new life is my spiritual home, this is my spiritual family, but you haven't yet become a covenant team member here at New Life, I just want to invite you, extend a personal invitation to sign up for our Journey 201 membership class. That's coming up later this month, I think the 29th. It's the last Saturday of the month, just for, I think, two or three hours that morning. And so spots are, are filling up, and cutoff is next week. So if you wait till the very end, you're not going to be able to get in. So please, if that's you, you're like, man, yeah, this is my family, but I haven't taken that step. I'm not a covenant team member here at New Life. Go ahead and sign up for that. You can register uh, online, our website. You can go to the New Life app. Or you can just go straight back to our Next Steps booth and sign up there. Well, today we're going to be talking about one of the primary things that has marked Christians in the church from the very beginning of the movement 2,000 years ago, and that's baptism. Baptism has marked us as a people from day one, and yet there seems to be uh, a lot of questions out there about baptism, questions like, who should be baptized? When should people be baptized? How should people be, be baptized? Does it save us? I mean, do we have to be baptized to actually be saved? Um, is, it, is it really that important at, at all? And so my goal this morning would be for you to walk out of here with a very clear understanding of what baptism is, what baptism is not, and why it's so important. So let me start by giving you uh, just a simple definition of baptism, and then we'll jump into the, the scriptures uh, together. But here, here's the definition of baptism. This is kind of what we believe here at New Life. And I think if you kind of boil it down, this would be an accurate definition of what baptism is. Baptism is the public 
proclamation to the world that a person belongs to Jesus by being immersed in water as a symbol of the new life that they have in Jesus. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Turn to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be in three different spots today, but we're going to start Matthew's Gospel chapter 3. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and he writes the following beginning in verse 13 of chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's, that's a river, to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so I want to help you just picture the scene here. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, and so they likely grew up together. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness preaching that the Messiah was coming and that people should, people should repent, they should turn from their sin. And so these huge crowds begin to come out to hear uh, John the Baptist, this charismatic prophet, and he's just, he's just laying it out there, man. He's, he's preaching out there by the Jordan River. John is baptizing tons of people as they turn from their sins, begin to look for the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, one day, Jesus shows up. And you can kind of picture Jesus cutting through the crowd, and he walks up to John the Baptist, and John sees Jesus coming down to be baptized, and John's like, whoa, Jesus, I, I know who you are. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need me to baptize you. I need you to baptize me, right? And then, and then, and then Jesus is like, listen, John the Baptist, we, we got to do this. This is part of the plan that I have to fulfill. And so John finally relents. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And then Matthew tells us, as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes down, descends on him like a dove, rests on Jesus, and then a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is a huge moment in history. And by the way, one of the clearest pictures of the Trinitarian nature of God, right? You have Jesus being baptized, you have the Holy Spirit descending from heaven to, to kind of rest on Jesus. You have God the Father audibly speaking at the same time. Do you think that this is a big event in history? It's absolutely huge. You bet it is. This is actually the kickoff event of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he chose to do it at his baptism, which I think should speak to us about just how important baptism really is. Now, one of the things that I, I absolutely love about New Life is that we are a family comprised of so many different backgrounds here. Uh, we, have, we have tons of former Catholic. I feel like half of our church came from Catholic churches. Uh, I, I kind of I want to set up like a confessional booth in the corner just so you feel at home. But it's really cool that we have so many former Catholics here. We have people that have come from the Methodist church, people that have come from the Presbyterian church, people like me who came from the Baptist church. 
we have actually a lot of people that, can't, that come from pagan backgrounds. I've met former Buddhists here, former Wiccans here, former Jehovah Witnesses here. Like you name the background, you probably can find that here at New Life, right? All of us united under nothing else except the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that. Right? It's beautiful that we can come from so many different backgrounds and we're all united by Jesus. But that leads to a lot of questions about a lot of things, including baptism. Right? And so we get questions often like, hey, man, uh, I was baptized as a baby. What does that mean for me? What am I supposed to do? Or I was baptized as a, as a kid before I really begun to, to own my own faith in Jesus. What do I do? Or I was sprinkled with water in the tradition that I came out of. Or even people are like, man, if I get baptized by immersion as a believer, am I disrespecting my, my family or like my faith heritage? What, what should I do? Like I'm here, I believe all this Jesus stuff now. I want to be obedient to God. I want to grow in my faith. But I have all these questions just swirling around my mind, and I don't know how to untangle all of this. So let me just uh, start answering those questions by saying that, listen, if you came from a tradition of baptizing or sprinkling babies, I just want to affirm that in that moment, that event, what, what was happening, what was taking place is your parents were making a commitment to raise you to know Jesus, like that, that's great. We affirm that as a meaningful, spiritual moment in your life. But I also want you to understand why we believe that you should be baptized as a believer once your faith becomes your own by immersion. Now, I want to give you three reasons why we believe that every believer, every follower of Jesus should be baptized in this way. The first reason is that the word for, for baptism in the original Greek language, is baptizo. Baptizo literally means to immerse, to submerge, to dunk. So the very meaning of the word implies that it's immersion. The second reason why I think it's important for every believer to do this is that it is unquestionably the method practiced in the scriptures in the first century church. That was just their practice. That's how they did it. That's how Jesus did it. That's how his disciples did it. That's how the first century church did it. And then the third reason that every believer should do this is this is the method that Jesus himself modeled for us. See, the, the biblical pattern for baptism is immersion. Now, understand, uh, there are people that for physical reasons, disabilities, whatever, uh, they can't do that. And understand, we will do whatever we can to accommodate that person, get creative, and allow them to experience baptism in a different way, in a creative way. But also understand that the biblical pattern is immersion. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus need to be baptized? He's a sinless son of God. Of course he didn't need to be baptized. So, so why did he get baptized? He was, yeah, exactly. He was, he was setting a pattern to be followed by his disciples from that point forward throughout history. Baptism has become the primary symbol and mark of the Christian movement for the last 2,000 years. It's our DNA. It's who we are. Christians love Jesus. They get baptized. It's who we are. So here's why it's so important and why we make such a big deal out of it. 
here at New Life. I want to give you three reasons why biblical baptism is so important. Here's, here's number one. This will be on the screens. Baptism is a symbol of new life in Jesus. It's a symbol of your new life if you're a follower of Jesus. Symbol of your new life in Christ. See, Jesus was, was telling the world through his baptism that he would one day be buried into a grave. That's why we baptize underwater. And that he would one day rise again, right, to, to crush sin, to destroy death, to liberate everyone who would believe and follow him. So when we follow his example of baptism, we are symbolizing in a very real, very powerful way that the old us is dead and buried with Jesus. That our sins are now forgiven, that we've been raised to a new life with Jesus in his resurrection. It's this incredibly powerful symbol of the new birth that we've experienced in Christ. Now, as important as baptism is, and I believe that it is as important as I've just said that it is, it raises an important question, and it's this. Does baptism save you? Is baptism a prerequisite for salvation like the Roman Catholic Church teaches or certain denominations teach? The answer to that question is absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, and I think this will be on the screens for you, he says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Baptism? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, which by the way, baptism would fall into that category. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we just spent the last three months in the book of Galatians. The whole book is about the Jesus plus nothing gospel, right? Jesus did it all. We can't add anything to or earn our salvation in any way. So no, our salvation is not contingent upon baptism. It simply isn't. Now, I think that's most clearly illustrated by Jesus on the cross. You guys remember that story, right? Jesus is being crucified. He's also being crucified with two criminals on either side. You remember that? They're being executed with him. One of the criminals looks at Jesus and mocks him. But the other criminal looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And do you remember Jesus' answer to him? Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, you know what, man, I, I would let you in. I really want this to work out between us, but somehow I got to get you off this cross, get down to the Jordan River and baptize you, or this is like not going to work out, so we got to get creative. So, it's not what he said. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Clearly, it's not a prerequisite for salvation. It's just not. It's not biblical. That idea is unbiblical. And yet, there's not a more important symbol in the life of the believer. It marks us as disciples of Jesus. It's sort of like, if I could illustrate it in this way, it's sort of like a wedding ring. So when Cheryl and I were married in 2003, we exchanged rings. Now listen, this ring on my finger is not my marriage. This ring on my finger does not make me Cheryl's husband. There's nothing legally binding about this ring. 
But this ring is a symbol that says to the world, I belong to Cheryl. I'm her husband. And for what I paid for the rock on her finger, it better communicate that she belongs to me. (laughs) She's my wife. (laughs) That's what baptism is to the follower of Jesus. It's how you tell the world that you belong to him. It is an incredibly important, powerful symbol. Now listen, that is an important enough reason all by itself for every believer to be baptized, but it's not the only reason. It's more than just a symbol. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, hopefully we'll be able to answer the questions of who should be baptized and when they should be baptized. So Acts chapter 8, we'll start in verse 34, but let me set the scene up for you. Philip is this uh, sold out, on fire, passionate follower of Jesus. And Philip, like the early disciples and most of the early followers of Christ, he's traveling around from place to place, city to city, And he's telling everybody that he can find about this Jesus guy that claimed to be God, and then he proved it by walking out from the grave three days later. And so Philip is traveling, telling everybody he meets about Jesus. He comes across this Ethiopian royal official sitting in his chariot. So this guy's probably pretty important. This guy's probably pretty wealthy. And this Ethiopian official is in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. By the way, the same book of Isaiah that you have in your Bible. That's pretty cool. So Philip is apparently this bold guy, and he goes right up to this royal official who's reading Isaiah out loud, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian guy says, man, how can I understand what this is saying unless somebody explains it to me? So Philip says, man, it is your lucky day. And he hops up into the chariot And he starts reading him parts of Isaiah, these messianic prophecies about Jesus. We're going to pick up in verse 34 uh, in the story. And the eunuch, that is the Ethiopian royal guy, said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I want you to notice two things about this story. The first one is, how was this Ethiopian guy baptized? It says that Luke tells us, they went down into the water. Philip didn't say, hey, you wait here on the chariot. I'm going to take my cup. I'm going to get my Nalgene bottle. I'm going to go down there and come back up here and sprinkle some water on you, man. They went down into the river. Dude got dunked. He got wet, right? Also, notice when he got baptized. He got baptized right away. The guy believed in Jesus. Two seconds later, he's looking for a body of water. He got baptized immediately. Like There was no waiting period. Let me meet with a pastor for three weeks, make sure my theology is in order. Guy believed in Jesus, boom, in the water. I sort of feel like we need to start doing that. We just need to keep like a tub of water over here. Whenever anybody believes, right in the middle of a song, middle of a sermon, you just come back, we'll stop whatever we do, boosh, right there, in the middle middle of service, right? (laughs) I'm just not, I'm not convinced the way we do it is really really biblical. But so we've answered the, the how, right? 
How should people be baptized? Clearly, by immersion in water. The, the next question is, when should somebody be baptized? The answer is, as soon as they understand and trust in Jesus. Which, by the way, with all due respect to every religious background that you guys have come from, this cannot happen when you're an infant. You, just, you do not have the mental capability to process and understand the gospel for yourself. But as soon as your faith becomes your own, as soon as you believe in the gospel, you should be baptized immediately. Right? So who should be baptized? Everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus. When? Immediately, right? So the answer to who is every believer. The answer to how is by immersion. The answer to when is ASAP, as soon as possible. And that leads us right into our second reason why baptism is so important this morning. Number two, baptism is a declaration that you follow Jesus. It's a declaration. See, this Ethiopian guy, he couldn't contain himself. They're traveling quite possibly on a very busy road. And he's like, Philip, are, are you telling me that, that God sent Jesus for me? Are you, are you telling me that I don't have to earn my salvation? I don't have to earn my way to God? All I have to do is repent of my sin and follow Jesus? Is that what you're telling I'm in. <laughs> I want to follow this Jesus. Get me some water right now. So he was declaring to Philip, to whatever other royal officials may have been on that chariot, to whoever was on that road, he was declaring to everybody, I am a follower of Jesus. See, baptism has always served as this sort of line of demarcation for believers. It's how we declare to the world around us that we are not ashamed that Jesus died for us. He purchased us with his blood. We now belong to him. It is a physical way of preaching a sermon to the world. The physical way of declaring to people, listen, Jesus is who he said he is. He is worthy of my life. He is now my highest treasure. This is my way of declaring that. And see, the sad truth is, I think there are probably a lot of believers out there, perhaps some of you in this church, who either don't get baptized or won't get baptized primarily because you're embarrassed. And so you think things like, man, oh gosh, I don't want to get wet in front of a bunch of people. Might mess up my makeup. If you're a lady or if you're a guy like me with hair product, might, might wash it out and it'll look kind of goofy. Or man, I don't get wet in front of hundreds of people. It might make me look fat. And I'm thinking, man, you already look fat. Just obey Jesus. Just, just, just follow Jesus, right? It brings to mind this um, story in Luke 9 where Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of them when they stand before my Father one day. Now that ought to be a really sobering thought to us because Jesus was essentially saying, if you really love me, you will not be ashamed of me. If you really love me, you're not gonna be worried about messing up your makeup or whatever it is. If you love me, just obey me. Follow me, be my disciple. Baptism is a symbol that we belong to Jesus, just like a wedding band. It's also a declaration to the world that he is worthy of our lives. 
And I want us to see one more thing. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. It says this. And Jesus came and said to them, that is his his disciples, the followers of Jesus. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been crucified. He walked out of that tomb three days later, just like he said he would. And he's now spent 40 days with his disciples, and he's getting ready to ascend back to the right hand of the Father. And he's looking at all of his disciples, and these are essentially his last words to them. Now, if you've lost somebody that that you love, what do you often remember most clearly about them? Their last words to you, right? Because they're special. Oftentimes they are profound. And Jesus says to his disciples, listen, I'm about to go back to my Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to guide you. But this is what I want you to be about in your life. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to to make disciples, and that's not all. I want you to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, this is part of our mission from Jesus. You're like, man, Chris, why are you getting so worked up about baptism? This is part of our mission from Jesus. We are to be a people marked by baptism who baptize those who come into the faith through Jesus. So Jesus says, look, make disciples, baptize them. Make disciples, baptize them. Here, there, everywhere, to the ends of the earth, make disciples and baptize them. So here's the last truth this morning. Baptism, at its core, is an issue of obedience to Jesus. It's about obedience. You just boil down all the other stuff, all the other stuff we're worried about, things we're embarrassed about, whatever. It's an issue of obedience. Because, see, this wasn't a suggestion Jesus gave his disciples, right? He said, go, make disciples, baptize them. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Right? So, so how, how can we be about making disciples and baptizing them if we aren't even willing to do it ourselves? Like, do you see the tension there? Do you see the illogical nature of that, like, school of thought? We can't obey Jesus' last words to us unless we believe and are baptized ourselves. It's as simple as that. So, friend, I just want you to understand this point. This is, this is big. Like if you've thought about baptism as just kind of like a secondary, tertiary issue out there, something that really isn't all that important, I just want to challenge you. I think you've missed the boat. It is a symbol of your new life in Jesus. It is a declaration, it is a sermon that you preach to the world that you now belong to him and it's obedience to Jesus. This is massive. This is a huge part of your spiritual journey. Now, lest you believe that I'm just up here sitting on a high, righteous horse hammering down on you guys, I'm not picking on anybody. Because my story is this. I was baptized the first time as a little kid. So I was, I was five or six years old, and I think looking back, I was as sincere as I could be as a five or six-year-old. 
But in my teen years, into my early 20s, I uh, ran from God. And through a series of events, God pursued me. He got a hold of my life. I submitted my life to God. I understood, really for the first time, my own sin, the gravity of my own sin, the offense of my own sin to a holy and perfect God, and the fact that I needed a Savior. Like, I couldn't work my way out of this. Like I, I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't wise enough. I wasn't cunning enough to figure it out. Like, I actually needed somebody to come in and fix in my heart what I couldn't fix myself. And Jesus did that. He changed my life, right? I didn't become perfect overnight, but I became new. But to my great shame, I tell you, I didn't get baptized. I probably waited two, maybe three years after that. And I'm not really, as I think about it, I'm not really sure why. I don't know if I was embarrassed about it, maybe because I grew up in a pastor's home, and how can I be 20 years old just now getting baptized and grew up in a pastor's home? I think I just didn't really feel like it was that important as I look back at my 20-year-old self. But, but I want you to know that even as a Christian, I lived those years in disobedience to God. And even, even though God grew me during that time, even though in some ways God blessed my life during those years, I'm convinced that I missed out on all that he had for me because I was living in disobedience to his example and to his command. So let me, let me just plead with you this morning. If you're here, you're a believer, you've never been baptized in a biblical way, please don't make the same mistake I made. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't allow embarrassment or whatever to keep you from the most important simple declaration and step of obedience for a follower of Jesus. He was baptized into death for us. How then can we not be baptized to preach that good news to the world? I want to close by reading to you from Paul's letter to the believers in Rome. And this is what he says in chapter 6 of that letter. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of the gospel to the world around us. It's a symbol, it's a declaration, it's an act of obedience to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Why would any Christ follower not want to do this? It's a beautiful picture of what a beautiful Savior has done to redeem rebels and sinners just like you and me. I want to show you a few pictures from some uh, mass baptisms that are happening across the world. Uh, most of these are happening, by the way, in Iran, which I just read recently is now the fastest growing church in the world. It's been China for a couple of decades. Now it's Iran and this oppressive, militant Islamic country. People are coming to faith by the thousands. And so they're having to rent out pools and go to lakes and rivers, all this stuff because they don't have room to baptize everybody. So I just want you to understand what God is doing in the world. It's way bigger than just you. It's way bigger than us at New Life, right? We don't need to be worried about us or what is it going to look like. This is bigger than all of that, right? 
God is doing an amazing work. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are finding freedom in Jesus, and they're demonstrating it to the world, just like Jesus commanded his disciples to do through baptism. God is at work. His kingdom is advancing all over the world. And so the question that I just kind of want to plant in your mind is, what is your part to play in that movement? Have you even done what he's already commanded you clearly in his word to do? And if you have, what, what, is he, what is he asking you to do today in your heart? Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment as the band comes? I'd like to spend just a minute meditating, asking God what he would have each of us to do individually in our lives. Okay? So if you're here and you're a believer who's been baptized biblically, I just want to say this is an opportunity for you to kind of think back to that time, to think back to that time when you fell in love with Jesus and you were baptized, and just spend this time recommitting to Jesus. Just rededicate yourself to Jesus, to living passionately for him, for seeking those people out in your life who need this good news. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus, just like Philip did with this Ethiopian guy. Who's your Ethiopian guy right now, believer? Who's the guy, who's the gal that God has already placed into your life? Or maybe he's going to bring him into your life this week. And the sole purpose for you being in their lives is like Philip to this Ethiopian is to share the good news of Jesus. So if that's you, spend this time committing to that, committing to the mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples, to baptize them here, there, to the ends of the earth. Or maybe you're here and you're like I was at 20, 21, 22. You're a believer, but for whatever reason, you've never been baptized as a believer by immersion. And maybe God is saying to you through his word, maybe his Holy Spirit is whispering to you in this moment, it's time. It's time. It's time to take that step in your spiritual journey before I can move you on to the other things I have for you. And then I'm just going to guess there's probably a third category of people here. Those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus before, never. Maybe you're like I was. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you're religious. You've never actually begun that spiritual journey. You've never actually submitted your life to Jesus. And so for you, if that's you, your first step this morning isn't baptism. Your first step this morning is to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. To begin to find your hope in him. If that's you, we're going to pause in just a minute. We're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And during that time, I'm just going to challenge you. Cry out to God. Cry out to him in your own words. Give your life to him. Thank him for sending Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, forgive you of your rebellion against him. And then step into the new life that he has for you. So you pray for a moment in silence, right where you are, just you and God. Ask him what he wants you to do and then make a commitment to obey what he tells you to do. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for your patience with us. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of our rebellion towards you. Thank you for sending Jesus on a rescue mission. Thank you for making us your sons and daughters because of his finished work on the cross in the empty tomb. Father, I ask wherever each person is in this room, in their spiritual journey, God, help them to take the next step today. Whatever that is, before they leave, God, whether it's telling the world that they belong to Jesus by baptism or whether it's surrendering their life to you for the very first time. God, give us the strength to take that next step. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, help us to do it all for your glory. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.